0: message 2000 and it is rooted in the text of scripture and it defines baptism this way i think this is helpful for us to understand what we're about to witness here it says christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit it is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified buried and risen savior the believer's death to sin the burial of old life and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. So, baptism is really important. It symbolizes all these things. It's a powerful image of what people have faith in Jesus and they want to follow him and they're brought into the faith community. But I also want to make clear that baptism by itself, the act alone, does not save you all right you can think of it like this uh, at a wedding ceremony when the two people come to be married they have already confessed their love for one another and they have confessed that they want to be together in marriage the marriage ceremony is that that place where they publicly confess and they could celebrate with their friends and family and before god this covenant marriage and so baptism is very similar uh, abigail and eloise have been thinking, and praying, and studying, and following Jesus, and place their faith in Jesus as their God, as their Savior, and their King, and today, they want to celebrate that with you. They want to confess that with you, to, to you, and to everyone, and so a couple of uh, scripture passages that are key for understanding baptism. One, it is commanded by Jesus in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. He says, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations.'" Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And So baptism is the external sign of the new covenant in Christ. It symbolizes the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. And the union with Jesus. As we see in Romans 6.3. It says, Romans 6.3, do you not know? Are you unaware that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection." All right, so, Abigail, you ready? Yeah. All right. (laughs) Uh, So Abigail has been learning about Jesus with her mom and me and her family. We thank you all for pouring into her and teaching her about Jesus and showing her what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, Special thanks to her grandparents and Joe and Deborah and just so many more in our church Christy, have been pouring into her and so the, and so she's really excited right now she's a, she's full of excitement all the time yeah. if you know abby and she's she likes gymnastics she's very creative and she's been growing in her faith and maturity in christ over the years and we have also made it clear that this is abby's decision that she's not pressured into this we want this to be her decision she wants to follow jesus and we support her in that, and we love her as her church family. We love her as friends and family no matter what. You know that, Abby? We love you no matter what. That's right. Amen. And so just a few questions about what you, do, you believe and confess about Jesus. Do you confess that you are a sinner deserving of eternal punishment, that you can do nothing to earn God's favor? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is the only way your sins can be forgiven?
1: Yes.
0: Do you proclaim now before this church family, before God, before the demonic powers, you proclaim your total allegiance and faith in Christ as your only God, your only Savior, and your ultimate King? Yes! That's it, amen. Yeah. Is it your intention to live a different kind of life because of your trust in Jesus and the new life He has given to you? Yes. Yes. All right. So, our church recognizes your faith in Christ. And we recognize you as a sister in Christ. And so, take my hand here. And we baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All God's people said amen. Amen. All right, so now Eloise will come down. I'll try to hold it together here. <laughs> uh, Eloise is my daughter. She is wonderful, smart, beautiful, kind. She loves her family. Most important, she loves Jesus. Over the years, me and her mother, Rachel, and my parents who are here today, and her, her, my, uh, Rachel's parents have poured into her, have taught her about Jesus showing her what it, it looks like to follow Jesus in word and deed. And for the past couple of years, honestly, the topic of baptism has come up in conversation at our home. Baptism is a big deal. It's an important decision, something not to be taken lightly. It's declaring your allegiance to King Jesus. It's declaring to everyone that you trust in Jesus and want to follow him. And So we made it clear, just as with Abby, that this is Eloise's decision. Me and her mother, nor anyone else wants to pressure you into this. We love you, and we'll continue to love you no matter what. So just a few questions about what you believe. Do you confess that you're a sinner deserving of eternal punishment and that you can do nothing to earn God's favor by your own efforts? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is the only way your sins can be forgiven? Yes. Do you proclaim now before this church family, before God, before the demonic powers, your total allegiance and faith in Christ as your only God? your only Savior, and ultimate King. Yes. Is it your intention to live a different kind of life because of your trust in Jesus and the new life he has given you? Yes. Our church recognizes your faith in Christ. We recognize you as our sister in Christ. Do you can take my hand? That's fine. Any way you want. <laughs> Alright. you want to hold your nose? So we baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. At this time, I want to pray, ask you guys to join me in prayer as we pray for Abby and Eloise as they are following Jesus in faith. God, we thank you for this wonderful day that we get to celebrate uh, two young ladies confessing Christ where they, are living on, they want to live on mission for you. They trust in you as their Savior, God. Let this mark an important day for them in their memories. Let them always remember this day and look back and see where they publicly confessed and celebrated with your church this great moment. God, we pray specifically for them right now that you bless them. You protect them from temptation. You protect them from the evil one because they will be facing spiritual warfare. They will be facing things throughout their life. God, and we want them to stand firm in the truth. We want them to stand firm in you, and then God, you keep them to the very end. We know that you will. God, we trust in you. You have all power, and we give you all the glory for everything today. Be with us as we continue to worship you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now John's going to come up and lead us in our responsive reading.
2: Good morning. Um, I'm going to read the responsive reading. If you guys can please read the bold underlined in your bulletins. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of our Father, so too may we may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin.
1: What a great thing to witness this morning, two young ladies giving their life to the Lord and Being baptized. Don't get much better than that, people. As we begin our time of hymn singing, if you stand with us, if you're able, we're going to turn to page 330 and sing Are You Washed in the Blood? Standing, if you would turn over to page 185, if you're using the handle, probably won't even need it for this one. Jesus loves me.
3: Good morning. My name is Elaine Richards, and my dearest husband is Bruce Allen Richards. This morning, I will be sharing to you my life testimony. May I glorify our God today and encourage everyone here. I live and grew up in the Philippines for most of my life. We live with my mother's parents and siblings in a compound. We are about 17 grandchildren. And I was raised Catholic, and my grandparents had big statues of saints and images at home. In school, we had religion and theology classes, but nothing really left and had an effect on me to have a yearning to know God and how I could be saved from hell. On weekends, the place my family lived would become a a gambling den and a drinking place for my uncles and brothers. Quarrels happened once in a while. There will always be jealousy or envy among us, and even among the elders. When I grew up, I worked in a manufacturing firm, and in that company, I was promoted three times in a year, and was filled because of that, I was filled with pride. I was not able to build a good reputation among my colleagues in that company, because I always scared them. They are afraid whenever I would go down to their department and scold them for not doing their job well. It was actually in the company that I came to know the Lord. One day I started to seek him because we were having a big problem with my dad. We basically grew up without a dad at home. He would support us financially, but that's about it. Then all of a sudden, I learned that my dad was cheating on my mom. One of the officers in the company started a Bible study and learned to know how God... One of the officers in the company started a Bible study and I was invited to attend it. I attended that Bible study and learned how to know and to know how God loves me. But I am a sinner, and that I need a Savior to be able to go to heaven. Also, no amount of good works can save me. Being faced with the question of what will happen to me if I die now, where do I think I will be going? It became so real, and I started to listen and, sh- and learn to pray to pray using my own words and not the usual repeated prayers that I was taught to recite. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This verse became so clear to me the first time and to be enlightened, realized what I have been missing all my life. During a worship gathering, there was a girl who shared her life testimony about her dad. And then I realized others had problems with their dad too, even worse problems than I had. But that girl found peace in God and was able to forgive her dad. I came back to worship again the following Sundays and always looking forward to the messages. I became hungry for the Word of God. I would always open the Bible whenever I had time at work and would even memorize verses. Later on, I started working at a church as the accountant. And at the church, I would attend Bible studies I started to keep a prayer journal and have a regular quiet time with the Lord. I became aware if what I am doing is wrong, if what I am saying is offending people. Slowly, God helped me through the Holy Spirit. I was humbled in my work and had learned to be considerate of other people. I was happy. I never felt so safe and contented. My heart was full of God's words and promises. Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven says, For I know that plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It is where I first heard the gospel, where I was grounded in God's word where I got discipled by godly women, where I served in my first ministry as a choir singer, where I attended singles and leadership retreats, where I served as a volunteer to all the other ministries. For more than 30 years, God has been so faithful to provide for me and give me joy. I was even blessed to be baptized at the Jordan River. When I was able to join the Holy Land tour in 2012. The relatives living in the compound became Christians and are now reg- regularly attending a Christian church back home. My grand- grandparents' house became a home church, and we started to hold worship on Sundays. Right now, every Saturday evening, we will, we always have a family Bible study, we use the Zoom application to be able to accommodate bigger crowds. My siblings who were in San Francisco and LA, my cousins in Canada, Australia and Guam were attending it. I may have retired from work in the church as an accountant, but I still try to involve myself doing ministries. God gave me so many talents and I am using, I try to use it to glorify him. My goal now is for me to do, to end well, that when I see my Lord face to face, he will be welcoming me with open arms and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. To God be all the glory.
1: keeps getting better this morning. (laughs) Baptism, testimony. We're going to sing a couple of songs this morning. Uh, First one's a revelation song, and the other one is at the cross. So if you would stand once again, if you're able.
0: I was so excited to get up here and preach. I almost forgot my Bible and my sermon. Like my, my, I was like, let's go. All right. So everything that you just seen today is I'm just going to explain and unpack in my sermon. So from the, what we saw in baptism, from what we saw with Elaine's testimony, from us singing together, that is what it means to be the church. All right, that's what it means to be the family of God, and so I'm going to explain from the scriptures why we do these things. Right? Why are we a family? Why are we connected? And it's centered around this: we're centered, we're centered around Jesus. Right? We're united around Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're from—from the Philippines, from wherever, from Louisiana, from North Carolina, from around the world. No matter what language you speak, no matter how much money you have. If you're in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus as your God, as your Savior, as your King, then you are my brother. You are my sister in Christ, right? And so that's what I'm going to be unpacking today. We're going to be looking at a couple different verses. Mainly, we're going to stop in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 1, but we'll get there in a second. I want to kind of give an overview of a little bit about baptism. As I already read today a couple times, just I just want to make it clear the importance of it. Romans 6 3 tells us this says, Are you unaware that all of us, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Okay? In baptism, we are declaring that we are united to Jesus. We're united to him. When he died, our old self died. When he died, our sin died, okay? Our sinful self is no more. In baptism, since we don't stay under the water, that's a good thing, right? We come up out of the water. We declare we are united to Jesus in his resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose, we rise. We have a new life, a new self, a new path, new mission. We live for God now. And that, all that is depicted in baptism, depicted in our, un, it's our unity with Jesus. And here's some more good news I don't want to focus on today. If, if you've trusted in Jesus, if he is your king, if he is your savior, he has saved you into a family, right? He has saved you into a community. So you're not the only one Jesus has saved. He saved billions of people throughout time, and he continues to work and save people. So Eloise and Abigail are united to Christ, and thus they are united to each other. Eloise and Abigail are sisters in Christ because of their faith in him. I was baptized into Christ. I have faith in Jesus as my king and savior, and so I am their older brother, in a sense. God has made us all very different and very unique. We have different skills and talents, but he's also created us to be united to Jesus and united to one another, to use those different gifts, to use those different skills, to serve one another. And I think that's a key point that is often neglected in baptism teachings today. Uh, baptism teachings today, you can see on popular uh, you know, social media and things where people sometimes people are baptized in their bathroom by themselves. Like, you know, it's, it's the community aspect has been forgotten the church has been forgotten in a lot of ways. So I want to focus on the community aspect of baptism. First, looking at baptism uh, with others, looking at the very form of it. it is not You're not baptizing yourself. Someone is baptizing you. And in that simple form that you show it's pointing to community. Number two, bearing with our church fam- family. Yes, that word is used specifically, bearing with our church family. We'll get into that in Ephesians 4. And then lastly, we'll look at no divisions in Jesus' family in 1 Corinthians 1, 11. So the first thing, even in the very form of baptism, it is something passive. That means something, somebody is baptizing you. Someone else is there with you. The scriptures do not tell us to baptize ourselves, but to be baptized. And if you think about it, even Jesus, he did not baptize himself. If anyone was worthy to do that, he could have, right? Even John the Baptist is like, I'm not worthy to do this. But Jesus is like, no, we need to do this. This is to fulfill the scriptures, to fulfill all righteousness. And so even in Jesus' baptism, someone was there. And I'm just going to survey a couple instances um, of this happening as well. Even in the extraordinary case of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, if you remember that story, uh, through his, though his baptism was somewhat isolated, he says, here's a body of water on the side of the road somewhere. He's like, let's be baptized, right? but he was not totally alone. Philip was there with him. I think it is a a special experience. Obviously, I think it's usually done within a broader community of believers, but I think this is a special aspect. You'll see in the following verses, Philip is literally taken up by the Spirit and transported. So a miraculous thing going on. But even in this miraculous encounter, the Ethiopian eunuch is with someone else, right? Even with the Apostle Paul, think about the the Apostle Paul. He has this miraculous encounter with the risen Jesus, right? Jesus is there with Paul, but Jesus doesn't heal Paul's blindness. You ever think about that? Jesus never heals. Paul's blinded at this moment. He doesn't heal his blindness. Jesus doesn't baptize him right then and there. Actually, Jesus never baptized anybody, right? He wanted his people to do the mission. He wanted his people to be included in the mission and to baptize, to be incorporated into the community. So we, Paul waits for Ananias. Ananias comes. God uses works through Ananias to heal. And Ananias and he was and Paul was baptized there with a group of believers. The key verse here is Acts 241. Acts 2.41 is a really good picture of what's going on. In the context, Peter is preaching. <clears throat> And they're listening to the sermon. They hear about how they are sinful. They have sinned greatly. They are responsible for the crucifixion of the Messiah. And they are torn, pierced to the heart. And they say, what must we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be united to Christ. Be united to him. Believe in him. Trust in him. Be, show that through baptism. And they're bap- they get baptized. And their baptism is showing they're, com- they're joining with a community of believers. Acts 2.41 says this. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. That little phrase at the end, added to them. It's simple, but you see there's a group of people who were unbelievers that became believers. They believed, they were baptized, and they were baptized, and they were added to a group of other people. Right? They just weren't saved individually. I'm like, all right, you're saved, good luck. No, it's specifically, they take, they take, the scriptures take the time to say, no, they were added to to this new group, right? Once you're saved, you're added to the church. Once you're saved and you're, you're baptized as the symbol of your salvation, you're added to the church. Acts 2.47 makes this even more clear. Acts 2.47 says, Every day the Lord added to their number, or the pronoun here is added to them, right? There, there's a people that are being added to. There's a group that are being added to. It's making it clear that there's a group of new believers being added to them. And some even later scribes copying the New Testament manuscripts actually really want to make this clear. They say, hey, this pronoun here, it, they change it to church. They were added to the church. Because that's what it's getting at, you know. It's getting at they were added to a church family. They are not just saved to go live individually. They were saved to be added to a group of people. And baptism serves as that, like, formal entry point. It is a way to declare to everyone to God, to demonic powers, to the church itself. "Hey, I am with you. I'm joining you. I believe in Jesus. We are united. Amen. It's a ceremony that declares your adoption official. Think of an adoption into the family of God. You've signed the paperwork have been approved. You have declared it. So now we'll turn to a couple of verses, even more clearly, depicts how baptism displays our unity with other believers. Second point here, bearing with our church family. We'll get into that specific wording, bearing with. That's the, the scriptures use that phrase. But first, some context. Ephesians 4, 1. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Therefore I, he's talking, he's Paul, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So part of being a Christian, part of living as God wants you to live, that calling that he's called you to, to follow him, to deny yourself, part of that includes being around and interacting with other believers. Gentleness here means you're going to choose your words carefully when you interact with them. You're going to think about what you say and how you act. It requires patience to interact with people, not jumping to conclusions listening more than talking. And lastly, being a Christian means literally bearing with other Christians, bearing with one another. This is a strong statement. I was reminded of what, what is the uh, a time when I had to bear with something. In high school, I, we had, yeah, high school, first year, ninth grade, we had this really intense baseball coach. And if we lost a game, if we did something wrong, or if he just was having a bad day, I feel like he would punish us on the baseball field. (laughs) And one of the punishments was he he would call it a duck walk. Have you ever heard of that? A duck walk. So you squat down and you walk like a duck all the way around the baseball field. Painful. It's painful and humiliating. (laughs) All right. And so we would say things like, I can't bear this any longer. I can't do this. I'm going to give up. Right. And so we were, this is the, one of the most difficult things, the most strenuous things I've ever done. I can't endure this anymore. This kind of suffering is too much for me. And what Paul is saying here is if you're going, you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to put up with. You're going to have to bear with one another. And it might be painful, right? It's, it might be difficult, and not only to endure one another, but to do it in love, in other words, living the Christian life is not going to be easy. In other words, living the, with other Christians is going to be difficult. The, the scriptures are not vague about that. The, the scriptures do not hide that, that reality. It's not like a bait and switch. Like, oh, it's, everything's going to be great. You know, then you get in there like, this is actually kind of difficult. right? It may be difficult, but it's worth it. and It's what God has called us to do. And because we're united in Jesus. All right, that's the, the key here. He's called us to it. He has saved you into his family. We cannot neglect our family in Christ because it's difficult. And those ma- family members, those people in the church, they may be annoying. They may be just as annoying or more annoying or difficult than your own family. But we need to bear with them. And as I was thinking about this today, how does this apply to our church and churches and people today today? I think there's a lot of what I would call fake unity in the church. What I mean by that is if if I would ask everyone here today, do you get along with everybody in church? I would imagine. All right. Is this one on, Jared? All right. Yeah, that's all right. All right. Boom. There we go. All right. So, fake unity. What do I mean by fake unity? If I were to ask people in the room, do you get along with everybody here? I feel like the majority of you'd say, "Yeah, I get along. You know, I I don't have anything against anybody. I don't have a grudge. I don't hate anyone." But I think that might be rooted in the fact that you might not know everyone and you might not hang out with them too often. Right? If if you're not hanging out with them, if you don't spend any time with anyone, Sure, you're not going to have a problem with anyone, right? And so that's not the solution, right? The, the solution is not to avoid conflict. We can do that very well. Uh, we can just avoid people, not talk to them. That, will, that is not bearing with one another. That is not suffering with them. That is not loving them. That is not being patient with them. That's avoiding our church family. That, that is not what God has called us to do. God has called us into a family to bear with one another to bear with other Christians in patience and in love. Ephesians 4.3 says it like this, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There was one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So we need not, and we ought not be divided in the church. For those in the church, those who believe in Jesus as their God, as their Savior, as your your King, we all believe and serve the same God. We share the same faith. We share the same baptism. So what could that first step look like for you? If you say, yes, Josh, I believe you. I'm I'm saved into a family. What does that mean for me? What can I do to be more involved in the community of, of believers? Let it sit there and settle. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you something, right? What is the Holy Spirit pressing on your heart? How can I be more involved in knowing fellow believers? Don't overthink it. Don't over-spiritualize it. It could be as simple as inviting a fellow member to your house for coffee or tea. Or I love what Ricky says. Ricky, we need to make a shirt with this on it. It says, be available, right? Maybe there's, there's a reason you don't have any... Uh, you can't spend time with any fellow believers because you're too busy. You have too much stuff going on. So maybe you need to cut something if you can to be available. And you don't, again, invite them over for things that you're already doing to watch a game, to read the Bible. Start there. Start with something that you like to do, that they like to do. Take the first step. Invite someone to do something with you. It doesn't have to be a special event. Incorporate people into what you're already doing. Doing, one of my mentors in college was really good at this. Uh, He would every time he would go somewhere, he'd like run an errand on the college campus. He would get up from his office and he was like, "All right, I need a walking buddy." He would walk two hundred yards, but he was like, "I need someone to go with me." We we, sometimes we wouldn't talk about anything. There was no agenda. He just there was someone with him. He was showing me things along the way, right? And so you can bear with people, but you have to be involved with them first before you can bear with them. And when you get involved with other believers, you need to remember this verse because they will get on your nerves. They will aggravate you. They may even say something sinfully mean to you. They may actually steal something from you. They will sin. We are still sinners, struggling. Now, I'm not downplaying sin. We need to address that. We need to confess that. We need to repent of that. But we also need to be forgiving and to work with people and be patient. And a lot of times, 90% of the time, it's not a sin issue. It's a personality issue. It's a, I'm annoyed by this, or I don't have the time for that, or I don't like that person for no reasonable, you know, no sinful reason at hand. It's a differing opinion or personality. So we need to bear with one another, forsake anger, forsake hatred. Let us forgive one another. Let us love one another because our our unity in Jesus, it goes back to that, our unity in Jesus, which is pictured in baptism. We serve one Lord, we all trust in the same God. God is the object of our faith. That is why we have one faith. We don't have multiple faiths. We don't have, you don't have a faith in one God and I have a faith in the other. No, we have faith in one God, Yahweh. Our faith is not divided. As the church, we all put our faith and trust in God. And just like our faith is in one God, so is our baptism. We're baptized into the same God. Our baptism shows our unity to God. Remember Romans 6.3. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, again, that unity language, we're baptized into Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.27, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. It's a big deal in the New Testament to be baptized into Christ, that unity with him. So our unity with each other is rooted in our unity with Christ. So, if you're having trouble with fellow believers, if there's a lack of devotion, if there's a lack of commitment, if there's a lack of love for other believers, remember that they have been baptized into Christ just like you. They have faith in God just like you. Their sins have been forgiven just like you. They are filled with the Holy Spirit just like you. So now I hope you realize that your fellow believer in Christ shares a more profound resemblance with you compared to a non-believer. You hear that? So someone may be, speak your same language, grew up from where you were. You may share all the same interests. But if they're not trusting in Christ, then they're, they're, they're a world apart. But then you have someone who is from the other side of the world, speaks a different language, has different preferences, but they trust in Christ. You're brothers with them. You're sisters with them. You're united to them. Despite all the other differences. And lastly, Paul connects unity and baptism again in 1 Corinthians 1 11. No divisions in Jesus' family. So in Corinthians, it's, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and the people are complaining, they're fighting, they're grumbling with each other. Gasp, I know, the church is messed up. Like people are, are having problems, they're sinning, and they're a church. Yes, Christians still sin. Even Christians 2,000 years ago, they heard the gospel from the apostles, and they're still, like, having trouble. And Paul has to write to them to address the problems, right? And so we need to learn from here. We, we need to learn from what Paul is teaching, learn how to be patient, how to love one another. So you, we'll make mistakes. We'll not fully trust in God like we ought, but God is gracious. He's patient with us. He works with us. That's why I had Paul write these letters to different churches to help them in this process. And what I'm about to read is part of the letter Paul wrote to the church at the city of Corinth. So we call it 1 Corinthians. And you may see churches. We have a couple churches, one in Zebulun, one in Youngsville with the name Corinth Baptist Church. That's where they get that name from. It's a really honest name. If you think about it, it's like saying, yeah, we, we realize we're not perfect, but we're trying to follow Jesus, right? Corinth Baptist Church. We have our problems. We're trying to seek after Jesus. Paul writes to them, 1 Corinthians 1.11. He says, It has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there, are, there is rivalry among you. Okay, divisions, rivalry, fighting. And what are they fighting about? Verse 12. What I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul. Or I belong to Apollos. Or I belong to Cephas. Or I belong to Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? So the people at Corinth, that he'll get into other complications later on in the letter, but here, the people were, it got so bad, people were actually having to travel or maybe write a letter. That was not an easy task to do in the ancient world to report this problem to Paul. It must have been pretty bad. They're like, but we got to tell Paul about this, right? Verse 11, he uses the word rivalry. Or other versions have quarrels or contentions in verse 11, that there is a rivalry or quarrels or contentions among you. This isn't talking about some little fight or a disagreement over who has the better basketball team, right? That's not what they're talking about. This is a big deal. This same word is used elsewhere by Paul in conjunction with things like murder, okay? Romans 1.29 says, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness, they are full of envy, murder, and here it is, quarrels or rivalries. These th- the same word used in our passage. Deceit and malice. It's a big deal. Big sin problem they're dealing with, right? So what are they fighting about? What are they, they have this intense uh, division among, in the church. In verse 12, it says that what they're fighting about is people having their favorite teacher and leader and looking down on others who follow someone else. All right, so the four people he lists here is uh, I belong to Paul. So this is Paul writing here, and then some would say I follow the Apostle Paul. And you might like the Apostle Paul better than the others because he was a missionary to the Gentiles. So he might have been more flexible in changing and reaching the lost. He, maybe today, uh, no, I won't say, I won't go that far. Uh, so if you're a Gentile and you want to spread the kingdom of God, you, you like change, you want to break away from tradition. You might be like, I'm on Team Paul. Paul's my guy. Anybody else that's talking, I don't want to listen to him. All right. The Jew, if you're Jewish, by you know your tradition and religion, you may not like Paul as much. Even though Paul was Jewish, uh, you might not like him as much because you felt like he was catering toward the Gentiles. That he's uh, foregoing and he's not respecting your traditions. He's changing things too fastly. The Jews were more likely to be on Team Cephas. That is Team Peter, the Apostle Peter. Peter was very sensitive to the Jewish traditions and if you were Jewish and didn't like a lot of change you might be on his team. Some of them liked Apollos. Apollos was another teacher and leader in the church. He was really smart. He knew the scriptures. He probably he knew how to he was a very well spoken person. He probably knew Greek philosophy because we, we learned this that he was from uh, Alexandria, Egypt where they taught this phil-, phil, phil uh, I'm not a, I'm not on Apollos today. So <laughs> He, he, he was grew up. He was a native Alexandrian. Look in Acts eight twenty four. I'll just read it real fast. It says, "Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus." So he's really smart. He he knew the Scriptures, right? You could see why people might like this guy. But what if you were not so smart? Maybe if you didn't like this fancy talker from Egypt, right? You, might, you want more of a working class man, right? And so you might not like Apollos. And so people are being divided on their favorite teacher. I follow this guy. I follow this guy. I follow this guy. They're being divided. And then the last group, people that think they're better than everybody else. I don't follow any human teacher. I just follow Jesus. You ever meet somebody like that? Like, God, you know, how prideful are you, right? Like, of course, we follow human teachers. They're not our ultimate but Jesus gives us apostles. Jesus gives us human teachers and pastors. We learn from each other. We don't just read the red letters in the Bible. We don't just go to the words in Jesus and count, cast out everything else. I mean, Paul would say this in Ephesians 4 about the importance of the apostles and the teachers in the church. He says in Ephesians 4.11, he says, He himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So there's value in learning from Paul and Apollos and Peter and teachers and pastors because they were given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So again, emphasis on unity. The pastors and the teachers are providing teaching so that people may be united in the faith. However, we should not elevate one over the other. We should not divide the church by our favorite apostle or favorite teacher. He says in verse 13, "Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name?" No. Paul was not crucified for you. That's only Jesus. You're not baptized into the name of Paul. That's only Jesus. By separating themselves by the favorite leader and teacher, and looking down on those with pride at those who followed another teacher, they were failing to be one body on one mission. As Paul is writing this, he may have been tempted with a little pride himself. like, so, yeah, those on team Paul, that, you, you chose the right team. But he doesn't say that. He says, it's not about me. I didn't die for your sin. He couldn't. He was, sin, he was sinful himself. And so are we that humble sometimes? Aren't, are we prideful to think that we may not say this, we may not say, I died for your sins. That sounds ridiculous. We know that we didn't, but sometimes do we think of ourselves as someone else's savior? Like we think that they have, we have to save them. We have to work them into the kingdom of heaven. We can't, right? You share the message. It's God who moves the heart. It is Jesus who died for them, not you. We have a, we turn the best things into the bad things. We have a savior complex in a lot of ways. So, be humbled. Paul was humbled. He, he's like, I'm not your savior. You were not ba- they were not baptized in Paul's name. When I baptize people, they're not baptized in my name. Right? You were baptized in God's name, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One name, one God, in three persons, you were baptized into that name. So what does it mean to, to be baptized into the name of someone? It's a symbol of one's allegiance. It's a symbol of total commitment. It's showing, I am loyal to this person. I'm loyal to God. It's declaring to everyone that you are part of God's kingdom. Because at the end of the day, it's not about Paul's kingdom. It's not about Apollos or Peter or anybody else. It's about Jesus' kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. Paul further humbles himself and shows where our unity should be at. He says in verse 14, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one could say you were baptized in my name. You see that? Some people might have even been prideful about Paul baptizing them. So you can imagine them at a dinner party, and they're like, so, so, say, how did you come to Christ? And, oh, yeah, I came to Christ when I was 10, and uh, guess guess who? George from Alexandria baptized me. And the guy's like, I never heard of George. Paul, the apostle, baptized me. Like, I'm better because Paul baptized me. Like, no, that's not the way it should be. And Paul's like, I didn't even baptize some of you. Like, you can't even claim that. And so Paul's saying here, that's not the point. We have a tendency to miss out on God's good good gift to us. We're tempted to take God's good gifts and actually use them for our own advantage. Right? Use, some, use the pastor or the person who baptized you or the location of your baptism as like some prideful thing. You're baptized into Jesus. That's all that matters. You're baptized into his family. The, the point is that you're baptized in his name. And Paul kind of closes his argument in here, 1 Corinthians 1.16. He says, I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. So obviously, baptism is important. Paul repeatedly, throughout this whole message today, we've seen Paul use the symbol of baptism as our unity in Christ. So he's not saying baptism isn't important. But he's saying that's not the main thing. That's not the most important thing. He, he says he is sent to preach the gospel. Somebody else can baptize you. That's fine. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Let another disciple do that. But preaching the gospel and is Paul's mission. And not notice, it's not with eloquent wisdom. It's not with, Paul was not this famous orator. He did not use Greek wisdom. He would not have the wisdom of the world. It was not complicated. The good news of Jesus is something else. It's not wisdom of the world. It doesn't have to be spoken in elegant speech. The message of the cross has power in and of itself. The cross of Jesus has power to save. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take anything away from it. We just need to share it. We entrust trust God to move. He says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. Jesus' death and resurrection for us changes everything. It changes who you are. You're in darkness. You're changed to light. It changes you from sinner to saint. It changes you from being alone into the family of God. The cross changes everything everything. So remember that. Put that in perspective when considering to neglect God's family. Remember the power of the cross and your unity to Jesus. You are united to these people in Jesus. They have the same faith as you. They're your brother and sister in Christ. Don't neglect them. Be unified in Jesus so you can be unified with one another. Mark's going to come up and we're going to have our song of invitation. Respond in praise to the God who saved you. If you have not confessed Christ, confess him today as your Lord and Savior. If you want to talk more about what it means to be involved in the church or what it means to confess Christ or what it means to be baptized, I would love to talk to you during this time of our song of response or you can talk to me after the service. may Be seated except Eloise and Abigail. You guys are going to come up here so. <laughs> and Christy come up here. Yep. Uh, so at this time, uh, we're going to recognize Eloise and Abigail with their baptism certificates. They can have this to remember the date and the, the moment of their baptism. We have a gift for you guys from the church uh, to Bible. just mm-hmm. keeps coming <laughs> all right and uh we're also going to as we're talking about baptism as unity into the church family they're going to be also committed to the church and becoming members of union chapel baptist church and so we're going to uh, they're going to for the first time have re- uh dedicate themselves and commit to church membership and also this will be a time for all the other church members here at union chapel to recommit your church membership so it's going to be kind of like a responsive reading and i I have forgotten my bulletin every every step of the way this is my fourth bulletin that i need to (laughs) get all right so it's in your bulletin it should be on the screen as well there it is all right so this is for the members of the church and if you're not members of Union Chapel, please consider joining as a member. Um, and if you want to, you can say that if you want to commit to being, um, committing to this as a church as a whole, as universal, I think you can do that as well. So here's the question for Abigail and Eloise and for the members of Union Chapel. And I'll answer, ask the question and then we'll have the bold underline on the screen. Do you commit to help serve the purpose of our church to proclaim the gospel of Christ? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we do. Do you commit to be involved in and help provide opportunities of a growth for born-again believers through worship, fellowship, education, and service? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we do. Do you commit to ministering to the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of our church family and others in our local community and around the world? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we do. Let me close this in prayer. God, I thank you for this God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the worship service we have had. I pray that it was glorifying to to you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to repent of any sin and needs to follow you in any way, God, we all need to do that. God, show us where we need to do that in our hearts. Help us to glorify you in all things. God, we celebrate for all the things you've done today and, and will continue to do through us. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.